Welcome back to Create a New Tomorrow with your host, Ari Gronich. I'm here with Doug McGurk, my favorite person to have three-hour-long conversations with. So, Doug, uh, you have been Tony Robbins' top trainer. You have been, you're an NLP master. You know, let me, let me have you talk a little bit about who you are, what has made you this ma- amazing breakthrough the noise uh, speaking coach, what, what makes you who you are? Well, first of all, thank you so much for the invitation and uh, our always amazing and stimulating conversations. Uh, you are a star indeed. Um, the, the long and short of it is, I don't know about you, uh, growing up, I always felt like I was uh, a misfit on the island of misfit toys. Like I, I never felt like I fit in anywhere. And to some extent, I still don't feel like I fit in many places. And now I'm okay with that. Uh, it's, I kind of feel like if anything that is true for everybody, that we're all unique and all special and, and have our, our gifts to bring to the world. And one night I came home, uh, I was probably 17 years old, hammered, and uh, back then I'll date myself a little bit. Tony Robbins was on infomercials pretty much 24-7, right? He was, didn't matter, you know, around the world, he was somewhere on that uh, experience. And I was always, always, always into spirituality. I remember I went to a parochial school, it's called Chaminade. On uh, in Long Island, and it's a school, a very prestigious school. Bill O'Reilly went there, Sean Hannity, like a lot of uh, very successful people uh, had been to that school, and it's Catholic. And uh, I was always in the library looking at the books on occult and, uh, you know, just like otherness and just kind of going, there's more to this. It's not just this. And so I've always been on the path. And so I come home one night, hammered, and uh, I see Tony again. And I go to my mom, like, mom, give me your credit card. And she's like, what for? And I was like, the Tony Robbins, uh, personal power. And she's like, wow, we have that, honey. I'm like, we do? She's like, yeah, it's down in the den. Still sealed, never opened, and now I'm really going to date myself, cassettes. So I started listening to that, and it just made sense to me. Like, what Tony was sharing made perfect sense, and I could start aligning kind of why I was feeling the way I felt and help me understand people better and and I always I remember one time I I was I think I was about eight or nine years old and we were out for I don't know it was Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner at uh I was at the Milleridge Inn on Long Island uh, a nice you know kind of dinner thing we we're all out kind of fancy dress and I saw a guy sitting there all by himself eating and I was like oh this poor guy he's like eating by himself he's all alone I was like, can we invite him over to eat with us? And my parents were like, yeah, go ahead, invite him. Right. So, so let me co- kind of take a step back. You talked about the Dickens technique. So mm-hmm. what is that? And, you know, and, and in general, I'm going to have, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. So the Dickens technique, what is it and how does it work and how did it work for you? Okay. So Great questions. So the Dickens process um, is modeled after the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Story, and essentially it's working with temporal dynamics. So what the experience is, I know you've experienced it. So for anyone who hasn't, is it's taking a, a current behavior, current state, current belief, current something that is non-resourceful, looking in the past as to how what impact that has had in your life in the past, 
What impact is it having currently? So you get your brain to go, oh my gosh, that sucks. That's horrible, right? And then you get feels that the pain to it, right? That's what happened with Charles with, with uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? They brought him to the past and said, look at all this pain this has caused, and then brought it to the present. And look at how this current behavior is causing this pain, and then to the future. If you don't change, this is what will happen. And then your brain basically goes, well, crap, I. It sucked in the past, so I can't go there and like lament. It sucks right now, so I can't even lie to myself right now. And it's gonna be even worse in the future. So right now, temporally speaking, it sucks everywhere. So it forces you to make a decision to no longer continue that behavior. And then you create a new vision of possibility and then transmute that into probability by creating such a compelling vision that it starts pulling you towards that, that it becomes part of your identity. It becomes in your nervous system who you are so that you can continue to do the work when you don't necessarily want to. Yeah, you know, it seems like we have a lot of Mr. Miyagi's or at least want to be Mr. Miyagi's going going around these days, but not a lot that actually get the job done like he did with Daniel, right? <laughs> I, I I just watched Cobra Kai on uh, on Netflix. So amazing. It, so oh, so great. I can't wait for uh, three and four. I know it was it was uh, it was tremendous to see that that. I mean, this is 40 years later. It's not like a little bit of time has gone by. It's 40 years. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the idea that people don't want to do the work, I think, is a falsity. I think that what you just said about them not knowing maybe what to do or how to do it or even like the starting place for it, um, that would be a little bit more kind of where I would see a Mr. Miyagi, a person that you're accountable to and that isn't necessarily charging you, right? Mr. Miyagi didn't take Daniel as an apprentice and say, you got to pay me. He, you know, he got a lot of work out of the guy, <laughs> but it was more like, I'm a swordsmith. I need somebody to cover my legacy and become a swordsmith just like me so that my legacy can be extended. And that legacy is now being sold, right? With, with uh, the onset of all of these masters of transformation, it's being sold, right? And so I'm wondering if it's possible even to have a massive effect on a population when all you're doing is selling the service versus you know giving it the way that they used to in the old tribes and um and maybe it's just the work i know you know you've had such an amazing ability as an apprentice to take the information that you're given and transmute it into, I can now be a master at this. And I'm not sure what the difference is between you and somebody else who, you know, the 95% the that don't do that. Um, I don't know specifically. It, it, it's, 
It's not, it's, it's hard. It's not a general answer. I think each person has some uniqueness and that's why coaching is important, right? So that's the work I do. I have, you know, some high level fundamentals and then it's d- digging in a little bit deeper to find, okay, this is what's going to motivate you. This is what's going to light the fire under your ass because different people are motivated by different things. So it's, as far as getting under the hood on that situation, that's why the, it's important to, you know, obviously get to know somebody. So it's not a global answer. And at the same time, we run a challenge because I, I, I agree with you. Like, but the thing is we're, we're, we're drowning in a, in seas of information everybody you know in the marketing world and 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 maybe this is part of it as well we're getting lost in looking for purpose i think that we're we're losing the idea of small purpose leading to big purpose uh, in many respects from my ex- humble experience you know i look at you know i've i have my wife and daughter and and they're the most important people in my world I, of course, would love to change the world and create world peace and end human suffering in its entirety. And I got to start with my daughter and my wife and me. And that's not as glamorous. And oftentimes we're, and I think now more than ever, we've been conditioned to our value only being represented by how famous we are or how much money we have or the car we drive or the watch we have. And we've become... um, addicted to a measurement that is um, not sustainable for some, but it's sustainable for others. And there's no judgment. It doesn't matter. You know, if people love stuff, that's great. We all love stuff. Um, Are we becoming a slave to it? So we've been conditioned to think and have an expectation that there is going to be an easy way, right? And people aren't lazy. They're just extraordinarily motivated to work as little as possible. See, you know, it's funny. I, I kind of agree and kind of disagree with, with that statement because I think that people are programmed to work really, really hard with the thing that they're passionate about and be lazy about what they're not necessarily passionate about. And for example, you in a studio for 29 hours and that being a regular thing, that wasn't because you were getting paid enough on salary. For free, I did for a while. You would have done that for free and you would have done it lazy as, you know, not lazy hasn't been a thing, I don't think, in your life, except for things that you're not passionate about. Well, yes, and we get distracted, right? So things come up and we have, you know, shiny object syndrome. So that's where discipline comes in, where, you know, there's a point at which, you know, wisdom and discipline, uh, in my experience, has been valuable because and doing the things are things that we need to do, you know, and, and or find someone to support us in. Um, like, as an example, you know, admin and stuff like that. Not my, and sadly, not Heidi's bag either. So the two of us, 
you know, our passion is doing the work. Our passion is serving, is helping people. So where we need help is in the admin side, in stuff like that. But there are times when we have to do it. Like it's just, it's, it, we just don't have, you know, we're not, you know, having multiple people doing all of that other stuff. And it, it, there's that balance where then we get sucked into kind of little rabbit holes or things take more time and we go, oh, this sucks because, I have to do these things that I don't want to do because I'm not passionate. So then I put it off or I don't do it and then it backs up. And so it's, it's finding that balance. So I, I agree. Um, and it's, uh, while I, I totally am on board with, you know, finding your passion and, and going for it. And sometimes your passion may not be able to pay you perspectives. So, I'm going to, I'm going to take that and, and kind of twist it a little bit into cognitive dissonance, mm. right? So lack of cognitive dissonance or lack of common sense, sorry, and, yeah. and add in cognitive dissonance. And emotional dissonance. And emotional dissonance. We don't even know what we're feeling anymore. Yep. Right. So how does that play out? in the decisions, like we're looking at an election season, right? We, we just had an amazing debate between our presidents or our president and, and uh, the person who's seeking office, Mr. Biden. Um, there seems to be a lot of cognitive dissonance and a lack of common sense in every aspect of life. Yeah. And I'm, you know, my, my, my way of looking at things in general is I, I try to find out and understand why people choose to do things the way they choose to do them, why they're um, so okay with making decisions that go completely 180 against their own self-interest. And by self-interest, self-interest is not just an individual self-interest is a society at large, right? So, you know, I look at things, I'm in the medical world. So I look at things like, why would we allow 70,000 chemicals to be put on our food, air, water, food, air, and water to be introduced into our society since only the 1970s, late 1970s, we've had over 70,000 new chemicals arrive. Most of them are being put into our food and our water. Mm -hmm. And yet people, don't complain. They don't say that ain't cool. I'm not going to buy that. They're not saying, I mean, they're not really up in arms about anybody. There's like such a small, insignificant amount of people fighting that fight, for instance. Or if a company, let's say, is poisoning the well water in their own community and all the people are getting cancer. The employees are not the ones making those decisions, but why aren't they stopping those decisions? And so that's kind of like, that's the cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Actions don't equal the results. And so let, let's talk a little bit about that because to me that can lead into some solutions if we can get a hold of this and what's going on. So, 
a couple of things. Obviously, this is such a complex conversation. And I think part of the challenge is, is that it seems that sometimes people are not really all that into having a complex conversation. They want it to be a simple yes or no, do this, do that. The, the, the complexity challenges things. And that, and that's true for everything, right? The, the tyranny of complexity stops people from taking action because they go, oh, I, I don't even know what to do. And then they, they just freeze, right? So when we don't know what to do, we freeze. A confused mind says no. So the complexity, and, and now you know we can unpack this into education, right? I mean, I believe that education has failed over the years. I, I, I look at um, you know like books from like what school books were for fifth graders in the like early 1900s or the late 1800s, and they are like college level, literally. Like, and they're unpacking, like you had to know so much about the government and how it ran. And, and you, I mean, it was a huge part of the educational system. Why? Because the expectation was you were likely going to serve at some level for some short period of time, not be a career politician. So let's table that for a second. Next, we move into resignation where people just go, I, this is, I, I don't even know what to do. And they actually create a synesthesia and they close off the consequences. It becomes an addiction, right? So that part of the nucleus accumbens, the NA in our mind actually bypasses. So we consciously know, and there's a cognitive dissonance. We consciously know the negative outcome from said behavior but we still do it because we don't feel the consequences and now we're into the emotional dissonance and the science behind it how that occurs is there's actually a part of our brain that wires itself through conditioning through expectations and through the consumption of said poisons which then create this interweaved experience where it's both cognitive and physiological, which creates the emotional because now it's in our body, we're feeling it, but on like, it's like getting lost in Jersey, right? You know, it's like, well, yeah, you can't get there from here, right? I don't know if you ever had that happen where, you know, it's like the hotel's across the street. Yeah, it's gonna take about 30 minutes to get there because you can't make a left turn. And in order to get there, you'd have to be able to, in 20 minutes, in five minutes, you'd have to make a left. Instead, you have to do this giant, huge circle. And then you go, ah, F it, right? And then people get a case of the F it's. And we see that in addiction and actually, you know, one of the things when I was uh, working in the treatment center, what I, I really came to uh, use as one of my, and I still is one of my keynotes, is creatures of addict. And I just point out that we're addicted. Everyone is addicted to something. And we we get addicted. And I'll use the example like right now when we talked about the debates and the cognitive dissonance that both sides will accuse the other of. We, we, and it's unbelievable to watch because we're like, wow, like, man, I, I'm just going to take this position. If we met in the middle, would we be okay with this conversation? Like if, if we just actually took what was going on and in this conversation, whatever that is, and met in the middle, would you be okay? Because it's so, and, and yeah, for me, the answer is probably not. I think we've we've gone way off course for what's best for you know humanity. Um, but 
That being said, you'll see people actually having that cognitive dissonance, dissonance going, you know, no, we got to put this roundup. We can't have those weeds. We can't have those weeds. And like, well, I, I get it. However, as you're killing those weeds, you are poisoning yourself and killing the flora in your body that is necessary to digest, which is creating all these problems in the first place. So while, yeah, you killed those weeds, you've killed yourself in the process. All right. Thank you so much for being here. This has been another episode of Create a New Tomorrow. I'm your host, Ari Gronich, and thank you so much. Ask some questions, send us a response, engage in our uh, podcast and, uh, and, you know, take a look at the book, A New Tomorrow. It's got actionable steps that you can do while reading the book to change your life, live your passion and be a better human being for the world that's coming up, uh, creating a new tomorrow. So thank you so much. And I look forward to the next time with you, Doug, and the next time with you audience. Thank you. <laughs>